<clears throat> Tonight I'd like to begin by telling you a story that I have heard many times and I've read it many times and uh, I'd like to share it with all of you. And keep in mind that this story is over 2,500 years old, so you have the context. So apparently soon after the Buddha woke up or um, directly saw the truth of how things are or became enlightened, he was walking down the road and he was actually radiating this incredible sense of calm and peace and um, equanimity. And these uh, people, they saw him and they came up to him and they couldn't believe what they were actually seeing. So they said, well, what are you? You know, are, are you a magician or a wizard? He said, no. Are you a celestial being? Are you a god? He said, no. <laughs> are you a man? He said, no. He said, well, what are you? He said, I'm awake. I'm awake. So meditation is said to be the path of awakening. And of course, there's no better moment to awaken than the present moment. But as most of you know <laughs> from your experience today, that so much of our lives we're not actually present, we're not awake, and we're not even here. How many of us today were awake and present? You know, were we present and awake while we brushed our teeth? While we did our yogi job? While we drank our tea? While we felt discomfort or sleepiness in our body? When we heard the bell ringing? Well, if you were present and awake for any or all of those moments, terrific. And um, <clears throat> if not, where do you think we were? Well, most likely we were lost in the story of me. <clears throat> Sometimes I think it's a movie. Have you ever noticed how fascinated we are with ourselves? Have you ever noticed how everything always refers back to me, to us, to my experience, to my life, to my pain? I think this is really going to be a bestseller. So most likely, we were lost, as I can imagine most of us know by now, in thinking, thinking about the past, or maybe thinking about the future, or maybe planning, or maybe worrying. So how much of the time are we actually in our lives present? I know each of you have had a direct experience of this today. So right now, in this moment, it's really the only moment that we have to be fully awake and alive. Thich Nhat Hanh has this really great poem, and Thich Nhat Hanh is a Vietnamese um, Buddhist monk, and he has this great poem about staying awake and drinking tea that I'd like to share with you. Perhaps I should have read this before tea. Drink your tea. Drink your tea slowly and reverently, as if it is the axis on which the world earth revolves slowly, evenly, without rushing towards the future. Live the actual moment, only this moment. 
is life. So right now, in this moment, it's the only moment we have, really, to be fully awake and alive. But wouldn't you say, as in your experience today, that so often that the, those clouds of forgetfulness come over us and we're temporarily lost? I think in those moments we actually lose touch with ourselves and with our lives. We fall into sort of an automatic way of being, of seeing, of thinking, listening, doing. At those times we are not connecting with ourselves or our lives. So often I think that we live in the stories about our lives rather than actually living our lives. Now, I have to tell any of you this, but life is kind of fleeting. You know, we're all born, and the moment that we're born, we're beginning to age. And then, of course, we go through our life, we get sick, and we're aging a little more, and eventually, we're going to die. And this is really the direction we're all going in. Now, we can really enjoy our lives a lot, or we can suffer quite a bit, but I don't really think that's the point. The point is that it's fleeting. It's a place. You know, this practice, insight meditation, it teaches us the possibility of waking up to live our lives in a deeper way, a way that's different than these perpetual stories that we tell our lives. You know, the Buddha, it, it is said, I didn't hear him say this, so, you know, but supposedly he said that, um, Come and see for yourself, you know, don't believe me. And do you think I'm going to say anything differently? Or, you know, don't believe me, don't believe anything you've read, don't believe Michael, don't believe anyone. Really find out for yourself through your own investigation of what's happening inside. Really learn, test what you know, test what we're saying up here so that you can know for yourself. That's one of the things I love about this practice. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been in it. <clears throat> so meditation, it actually wakes us up to the understanding, and I'm sure you've seen it, that our life unfolds in moments. Meditation, it's being fully alive and present and awake in each moment, actually in this moment. We've done this before today, but can you feel your hands wherever they are? That's it. There you are. <clears throat> so meditation, it's not getting going anywhere else or trying to get anything. It's about allowing yourself to be exactly as you are. It's discovering what is true. It's discovering what is real. It's a way of being, being in relationship to ourselves, the present moment, our own mind, and our experience. Sometimes I think this path is um, dedicated to discovering peace and freedom and waking up in each moment. Now, peace, it's really not the absence of unpleasant or challenging experiences in our lives. Meditation, <clears throat> it's not an attempt to armor ourselves or brace ourselves against life and all of its realities. It's really about learning to be open, to be receptive to life in each moment just as it is. You know, can we learn to appreciate and respect all moments of our lives 
whether we're, you know, cleaning the toilets, <laughs> chopping the veggies, mopping the floors, really simply because it's a moment of our life. Can we have the choice or the freedom, the wisdom to really respond to life's challenges and experiences instead of this habitual way we have of reacting? Can we let go of these habits and these ways of being? Can we be present and awake to our entire life? Really, can we learn new ways, new possibilities of seeing, being, listening, learning? So as we've been talking about this insight meditation, we practice what is known as mindfulness, and Michael's spoken about it some already, to help us wake up and to see things more clearly. Mindfulness, or there's a Pali word, which is sati. Do you know what Pali is? Pali is the language. So the Buddha's teachings were an oral tradition passed down, you know, monk to monk to monk. And <clears throat> after he died, I don't know how many years later, it was written down. And the written language is called Pali, just so you know, if you hear these words and somebody says Pali. So sati, or um, mindfulness, is the capacity that we all have to observe, to know, and to be awake. Now, mindfulness, it's already inside each of us. You've had the experience today. I read that in, uh, in the Chinese language that there is a character for the word sati. You know, and there's two parts of the character, the top and the bottom. So the, um, the top half is the character for the present moment, and the bottom half is the character, actually, for heart, the heart. So what does that suggest to us? That actually suggests that we have an accepting, open, friendly, kind, sensitive, patient, <laughs> loving awareness towards whatever's happening in the present moment. Mindfulness, it's really unbiased. You know, mindfulness is, as Michael said, it's not for something or against something. And it's, it's really not judgmental. I think we have to hear that again. Mindfulness, it's not judgmental. Sometimes mindfulness has been described like a mirror. You know, it just reflects what's before it. <clears throat> now, mindfulness is a nonverbal connection or contact. And as Michael was saying earlier, it's really not a process of thinking. Mindfulness, it's not detached. Instead, it's really fully engaging with our life. So let's give an example of this. <clears throat> so say you go outside, right? And you go for a walk. And you're walking on Pleasant Street, which is that street right out there. And you're walking down the road. And you see this incredible tree that's changing. You see the leaves changing on the tree. And so <clears throat> your attention is actually drawn to that, the leaves changing and that tree mindfulness would just be with the tree. Perhaps you would look at the tree or gaze at the tree, and you'd just be with it. There'd be nothing between you and the experience of the changing leaves. No separation, no gap. One could say you're actually one with the experience. So you're just being with things as they are, and you allow them to reveal themselves to you. You know, often really what happens 
we're walking down the street on Pleasant Street, right? And we see a tree whose leaves are changing. And we think, wow, you know, what a beautiful tree. The leaves are stunning. The color, it's so vivid. I know they told me to put my cell phone away, but maybe I could go get it out and take a picture. Or maybe, you know, I could pick up a leaf and bring it home and show my partner, my children, my, you know, friends. Well, maybe I should plant this, you know, a tree just like this at home so I could see this forever. Well, obviously that's not mindfulness. That's thinking. And thinking, what a great activity that is. It's fabulous. But thinking, as you can see for yourself, often comes between our experience. It kind of separates us. You know, we can really experience life without these endless descriptions. It's really just being with things as they are and really allowing them to reveal themselves to us. Obviously, to do this, (laughs) we have to be mindful. Now, mindfulness, I really would say, you know, that it's really no stranger to any of us. Of course, you've all had moments of mindfulness today, but really... If I really would say this is my opinion, but if you really reflected upon your lives, I would say that I think some of our deepest moments have all been moments of mindfulness. Maybe it's really moments where you've rejoiced in the setting of the sun, or in my case, it might be the sunrise. Or maybe it's moments when you've listened, really listened to a friend in pain. Or maybe you listened to a new piece of music. Or maybe you stood there, you know, looking out at the ocean or at the top of the mountain. It's really when we've appreciated these moments of connection and these moments of pleasure. But, you know, we knew they would change. So it's not like you looked at the sunset and thought, it's going to be here forever. This is terrific. You know the sun's going to go down. So in that moment, you're appreciating what's happening. I'd like to read to you a a Mary Oliver poem called The Notebook. Mm. 6 a.m. The small pond turtle lifts its head into the air like a big green toe. It looks around. What it sees is the whole world swirling back from darkness. A red sun rising over the water over the pines, and the wind lifting, and the water striders heading out, and the white lilies opening their happy bodies. Their turtle doesn't have a word for any of it, the silky water, or the enormous blue morning, or the curious affair of its own body. On the shore, I'm so busy scribbling and crossing out, I almost miss seeing him, paddle away through the wet, black forest. More and more the moments come to me. How much can the right word do? Now a few of the lilies are a faint flamingo inside their white hearts, and there is still time to let the last roses of the sunrise float down into my uplifted eyes. So mindfulness knows what's happening from moment to moment. Instead of being lost in the stories of our lives, instead of commenting or describing our experience to ourselves, 
Now, how many of you here have actually described your retreat experience to yourself? Yeah. And how many of you have actually described it to somebody who's not here? Yeah. Okay. So mindfulness, (laughs) it's not describing our experience to ourselves or someone else. Instead of rehearsing or planning, worrying, it's not worrying or fantasizing or trying to fix ourselves in any way. You know, it's not identifying with what our experience is or claiming it or claiming what's happening to be who we are or how things are. Instead, it's actually living in the present. We're awake to the present moment. We're free from wanting things to be a certain way, and we open to how things actually are. Whatever is happening, we're just simply awake and aware of it. Just this moment is the only moment that's happening. Just this. It's really how things are. So I'm going to tell you this story, and it's really, uh, I'm really shortening the story down, so maybe it's the Reader's Digest version of the story. <clears throat> so supposedly, uh, during the time of the Buddha, um, <clears throat> there was this guy who came up to the Buddha, and he said, I really, really want the teachings right now. Can you give them to me right at this moment? And the Buddha course, not in a New York accent, said to him, oh, you know, I'm really tired. You know, why don't you come back tomorrow? I'll, I'll give a Dharma talk then. And the guy said, no, no, you don't understand. I, I really, really need these teachings, you know, right now in this moment. It's really important. <clears throat> and the Buddha said, oh, okay, okay. Why don't you come back tonight? I'm giving a talk to the monks. He said, no, that's not good enough. I need him short, I need him now, I need him right away. And the Buddha sighed and basically said, okay. And I don't know why this is, but apparently at this time, if you ask the Buddha a question three times, he granted your wish. So listen up, because maybe you'll become enlightened, okay? So he said, what the Buddha said, is in the seeing, there's only what is seen. In the hearing, there's only what is heard. In the sensing, there's only what is sensed. In the seeing, there's only what is seen. In the hearing, there's only what is heard. In the sensing, there's only what is sensed. And in the thinking, there's only what is thought. Anyone wake up? So, being mindful in our daily lives actually means being present to all of our actions. It does mean avoiding actions that harm ourselves or anyone else. Now, this is a huge benefit, really, of mindfulness because it protects us from acting in unskillful or harmful ways. When we're not present, we're actually lost, and I think often we're overwhelmed with anxieties. Maybe we're overwhelmed with fears or desires. And then we act in these kind of habitual ways, But when we're present, we're actually open and sensitive, and we act in skillful ways. So I I used to work in the um, prisons here in Massachusetts. I taught the men and the women and the correction offices meditation. 
And I had this story that I want to share with you. I was in one prison, and um, we were in this room, and there were 10 guys and myself, and we were off by ourselves. And, you know, these are some guys who have not done really skillful actions. And here we are, we're meditating, and so we're sitting, and we'd been sitting for about half an hour. And we heard a sound, but we were still, everybody was still sitting. And then um, I rang the bell that I had, and uh, we then, as we ring the bell, people, they were opening their eyes, and we heard this sound, and it was a bird. The first sound we had heard was a bird flying in through the window. Now, there's bars on the window. It was summer, so this bird flew in. But that second sound we heard was a bird hitting the window. And you know that it kind of didn't get it. It hit the top of the window, and it thudded down. So... As we open our eyes to the bell ringing, there's a collective groan from everybody because, you know, there was this sort of, oh. And then it was really unbelievably amazing because then the guys, they actually got together and they processed, what should we do with this bird? Now, you know, so here we are and they got together and they're talking. And as I said, the windows have bars on them and you really are not allowed to go to the windows. You know, there are correction officers around. But nonetheless, they got together and they picked up the bird and they had a conversation and they processed and they took the bird to the window. So they were really uh, risking infraction here. And so they put their hand out and the bird began to kind of wake up. It wasn't dead. It was just stunned. And so they popped it up and the bird kind of, you know, went like this and it flew out the window and then they cheered. And it was really quite moving to see how these guys, you know, here they are, they're in prison and they're, so, so to speak, not free. <laughs> but guess what? In that moment, their hearts were open, full of wisdom and compassion for this little bird. And there was freedom right there. And th- it was skillful action. They, they knew what to do. So with awareness, we can actually learn to be more skillful, just like those guys in the prison. We can be free. So we cannot act in our habitual ways. We can really open to new possibilities. Because I'm sure if you told them that day that they were going to save some bird, who knows? So in insight meditation, in this practice, as you know, and as we've been talking about all day long, you know, we do sitting and walking and daily life meditation. This is how we train the mind and the heart to be present and awake wherever we are. Now, the root of happiness, it really lies not in what we are experiencing, but how we experience it. I've read that the Buddha said that this um, is a path that leads to happiness, and that the highest happiness that there is, is that of peace. Let's, Let's just reflect upon that for a moment. What would it be like to be at peace? To be at peace with ourselves, and all of our life circumstances. Not in a way that actually denies what's happening, but calm and at peace and connected to whatever's happening in the moment. Really, we're not struggling in the moment like we talked about earlier, and we're not full of anxiety, and we're not, you know, separating or fragmenting in any way, but we're at peace with how things are. And there's a feeling of calm, kind of like, you know, how the Buddha was walking down the road, that kind of thing. 
Doesn't that sound really great? <laughs> so, you know, how are we practicing this peace and awakening? Well, by being mindful, you're already doing it. We simply stay with whatever is happening. And really, we've said this, the moment that you're not here, you're not around, boom, you're present again. You're aware. You're awake. It really doesn't matter if you have to do that nine million times. <laughs> Each time you do it, there you are. You know where you are. We can always begin again. So in there's a book called um, In Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and Suzuki Roshi wrote, Having a beginner's mind is a mind that's open to everything. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. So a beginner's mind, it has that willingness to start again, that willingness to learn. The expert's mind is really entangled with thoughts of, again, you know, this thought again, this sadness again, this breath again. So to have a beginner's mind is really to start over, to begin again, and to have joy, and to not be locked in by our habits. Really, the mind habit or tendency is to be scattered. I guess you've noticed that, right? And to be easily distracted by sensations in the body, or maybe thoughts, or feelings, daydreams, fantasies, emotions. Really, by coming back over and over again, by repeatedly coming back to the present moment with mindfulness, we're really countering those strong forces of distraction. We're really responding instead of reacting. So as we begin to um, focus our attention, we develop what is called samadhi, which Michael mentioned before. Samadhi, what is that? It's the Pali word, and what it means is a one-pointed attention, a steady or an unwavering mind. Really, the key to developing samadhi is one's continuity of mindfulness, which we've been talking about. It's really often described as making a fire. I don't know about you guys, but I've heard if you take two sticks together and you rub them together, never done it, seen it in a Tom Hanks movie though, if you rub it together over a long period of time, you get fire. But if you rub them together and say, ah, oh, I need a cup of tea, you go off, or rub them together, ah, got to go to the bathroom, or rub them together, got to take a rest. You don't get the fire. Well, here, it's really the willingness, the effort, the intention to continually apply the mindfulness that brings about that steadiness, the calm. So whatever you're doing, it's really just knowing what you're doing. That's why we keep saying it. Know what you're doing from moment to moment. Now the Buddha, he spoke about four ways to keep the continuity of mindfulness going. They're known as the four foundations of mindfulness. So we can be aware of the body. That's the first one. Been doing that one. We can be aware of feelings. And in this tradition, it's not uh, emotions. So I'll get to that in a minute. Then with this, the third foundation, it's thoughts and emotions. And the fourth one is laws of nature. So the first foundation is the body. Now, the Buddha taught many different contemplations on the body, but we're just going to talk about a couple tonight. 
So the, the Buddha, he was really brilliant, you know, using the body as the starting place. And he also began by teaching the body, by teaching the mindfulness of breathing. Hey, just what we did today. So breathing, because it's so, it's with us, really. It's present in all of our lives. From really that moment that we're born, we start breathing, and to the moment that we die, and we stop breathing. You can't leave your breath in the yoga room. You can't leave it in the dining hall. And you can't leave it in the shoe room. It's really always with you. We can feel and experience the sensations of the breath just like you did today. So we got that one down, right? Along with the breathing, we can become aware of the four postures. So what are the four postures we've been talking about today? We've been talking about walking, standing, sitting, and lying down. So over and over again, we are really encouraged to know that we're walking when we walk, standing when we stand, sitting when we sit, and lying down when we lie down. Now, some habits we have around the body are that we think we can control the controlling, you know, the changing nature of the body. Sometimes another habit we have is to identify with the body as who we are or to identify with what's happening as how things are. So, for example, I'm a healthy person. I'm a young person. I'm a skinny person. I have HIV. I have diabetes. When the body doesn't actually fit our idea of how we think things should be, we actually begin to suffer. Because obviously the body, it ages. It breaks down from time to time. We get wrinkles, gray hair, no hair, colds, flus, (laughs) and some serious illnesses. You know, I think a lot of industries really profit on our lack of understanding. I mean, really, how many wrinkle creams are out there? How many diet centers are out there? How many, you know, I went into CVS the other day. How many cold remedies can one possibly, you know, take? So really, they're profiting on, you know, all of us, that that greed mind that we have. So mindfulness helps us to see our reactions to our changing nature. It allows us to respond with balance and skillfulness and wisdom. We can really learn how to be at peace with this changing nature. So that's the first foundation is the body. The second foundation I mentioned is that of feelings. Now, feelings in this tradition, as I said, they're not emotions. Feelings actually refer to when a sensation is pleasant, when it's unpleasant, or when it's neutral. It's really considered a tone or a texture. So in every experience that we have, you know, in the senses, so we see things, we taste things, we touch things, we hear things, we smell things, And the last one in in this tradition is we think things, or it's the mind. So, you know, all of those have a feeling uh, quality or a feeling tone or a feeling texture. And these feelings, you know, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of reactivity to these kinds of feelings. So let's give an example. If you have a pleasant uh, feeling, so a pleasant, you know, a pleasant thought or a pleasant taste, a smell, a sight, a sound a feeling, I mean, a sensation, you know, something happens that's pleasant. Our habit, what do we do? We 
you know, our habit is to judge it or maybe even to value it as something really good, you know, and that we want it to last. And we think somewhere that this is going to make us happy. If I get that extra bowl of oatmeal, it's really going to do it for me. So, you know, we cling to that. We hold on and then we suffer. But what about if we have an unpleasant feeling? Well, our habit, you know, our or our value is to judge that, you know, as bad. We don't like that. We don't like unpleasant. I don't know. I've seen that. Have you seen that? You don't like unpleasant, so you push it away. You try to get rid of it because we don't like it. And if we have a neutral experience, our habit is to ignore it or to not notice it, or maybe we get kind of bored. So mindfulness can really help us realize, you know, that we have these habits and tendencies. Before this, you know, I would have no idea. I just rush around through life, grabbing at things or pushing things away. But with mindfulness, we can see these habits. We can see the judgments. You've already seen them today. We can really let go of these judgments and we can open more fully to our feelings as they actually are. We can enjoy the pleasant without holding on or clinging. And we can be aware of the unpleasant without aversion or pushing it away. Same with the neutral. We don't have to push it away. We can really live our lives in a more full way. So the third foundation of mindfulness, this is thoughts and emotions. Now mindfulness, it's not about avoiding our thoughts and emotions. Rather, it's about seeing, seeing what's really there. Mindfulness, it actually makes it possible for us to know the full range of our emotions. Really, we know grief. You've seen in your sitting, you know, maybe grief, sadness, um, rage, equanimity. Mindfulness really helps us to see clearly when we get caught, when we're holding on, when we're pushing things away. It really allows us to respond rather than to react. I want to share a little story with you. A big, tough samurai once went to a little monk. Monk, he said, (laughs) in a voice accustomed to instant obedience, teach me about heaven and hell. The monk looked up at at this mighty warrior and replied, I couldn't teach you about anything. You're dirty, you smell, your blade is rusty, you're a disgrace, an embarrassment, to the whole samurai class. Get out of my sight. I can't stand you. The samurai was furious. He got, he shook. He got, you know, red in the face. He was speechless with rage. He pulled out his sword. He raised it above him, preparing to slay the monk. That's, that's hell, the monk said softly. The samurai was overwhelmed. The compassion and surrender of this little man who had offered his life to give him this teaching, to to give him this teaching, to show him hell. He slowly put down his sword, filled with gratitude and suddenly peaceful. And that's heaven, said the monk softly. I've read that the Buddha once said, Who is your enemy? The mind is your enemy. Who is your friend? The mind is your friend. In each moment, our world is created with our thoughts. 
the mind creates and shapes the world we live in, and really the degree of heaven or hell or happiness or sorrow that we can experience. Really, with mindfulness, our mind can be our friend. Okay, fourth foundation of mindfulness. I'm moving right along. One example of the fourth foundation of mindfulness is the truth of impermanence or the truth of change. Obviously, everything in the world is changing. And really, you know, intellectually, we all know that everything is impermanent, that whatever is born will also die, that whatever arises in meditation, it will also pass away. Our experiences in life constantly teach us about change or impermanence. I'm sure you've seen this today a gazillion times. So nothing inside of us stays the same for very long. It changes from moment to moment. Right now our bodies are aging, and perhaps today you've seen your mood again swing from happy to sad to depressed to joy to boredom. Our thoughts have changed, our attitudes, our emotions... You know, just like we said earlier, you know, one minute we're going on the three-month retreat, we're signing up, we're going to be a nun or a monk. The next moment we're getting in our car and driving home. We see this in our own minds and in our own hearts. Everything is changing. Now, the Buddha discovered that there were really eight basic ways in which we experience change. He called these the eight worldly conditions. According to this teaching, there are four pairs of opposing conditions. So what they are, are pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, and praise and blame. So pleasure pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and disrepute, and... um, And the last one, praise and blame. So obviously, you know, we'd all really like that first half, right? We really like that first half. Pleasure, gain, fame, praise. And we'd really like to do without the second half, right? Which is pain, loss, disrepute, and blame. Yet they kind of come together, you know? We can't have one without eventually getting to the other one. So these eight worldly conditions, they actually teach us that it's normal. It's really normal and human for our lives to be filled with both positive and negative change. So it's really, this really tells us that it's not, you know, what we're faced with in life that's most important, but how do we handle it? How are we relating to what's arising? This is what matters. We live in a world, an ever-changing world, where really bad things happen and good things happen. But that truth isn't this, the problem. The problem is, really, don't we all want just the good side? <laughs> now, that's what we want to be happening all the time. We don't want that bad side. So mindfulness really offers everyone a way to find peace and steadiness within life's constant changes, not in a, that, a detached way, but calm and at peace, fully alive and connecting to what's happening in the present moment. I have to add one last story about the power of mindfulness and recognizing that everything changes. I actually heard an interview on the radio um, with Ray Charles. I hope you all know who he is. 
And he was asked, they asked him, don't you ever get bored playing your old classics? And he said, no, because they're never the same. They're always different. Wow, isn't that powerful? To me, that's amazing that he was able to continue to appreciate the music that actually he created, you know, and he was able to approach it each time in a fresh way as if it was new and understand that it was never the same. Yeah, that's cool. So mindfulness and calm, this allows us to investigate what's happening in the moment. So out of calm and steadiness, concentration, we really begin to see and to know our reactions, those habits of mind. We're cultivating the capacity to see clearly. This is really the foundation for learning to be present with things as they are. It's really seeing without these filters or I would say veils that we have in front of us of judgments or preferences or emotional reactions. It's really developing the trust to be with things as they are. Mindfulness practice doesn't involve trying to change or fix ourselves. or um, Instead, it's a practice of seeing clearly. Really, we're seeing clearly who we are. We're seeing what's happening in each moment as it unfolds. And really, in that process, transformation is really possible. So out of mindfulness calm, investigation. This is where that insight arises on its own. Insights, what are they? Well, they're really intuitive understandings. So bringing our attention to each moment, we actually discover where we choose sorrow or limitations and where we can choose peace and freedom. As we begin to investigate this, really what happens Wisdom comes up and compassion comes up. Well, what is wisdom? (laughs) Wisdom comes from really directly observing your experience from moment to moment, just like you're doing today. Wisdom is not one experience. It's not like a series of ideas or thoughts that we have to, you know, gather and hold on to and cling to. It's really an ongoing process of discovery that unfolds as we're present with each moment. In this practice, we're really not asked to leave the world in any way. (laughs) We're actually asked to dive in and find wisdom in each moment. So wisdom actually sees that everything is impermanent. Wisdom sees what is happening as impermanent. It sees what is happening as not solid, It sees what is happening as not fixed. It sees what is happening as not self. Each of us can really learn what actions cause unhappiness and discontent and suffering and what actions lead to happiness, peace, and freedom. The more we practice, really, the more we really understand the truth of how things are. So that's the wisdom. And as wisdom rises, so does compassion. This is everybody in here. This is actually our natural state, wisdom and compassion. Compassion, it's really a transforming quality of the heart. I, I kind of see it like an onion. <laughs> you 
know how you peel an onion and there's lots of layers to that onion as you peel it down? So we peel away those layers of, you know, anxiety, fear, resistance, clinging, holding on. So really our challenge isn't really one of becoming more compassionate, but really letting go of those clouds of confusion that actually hide that natural radiance of compassion that's inside each of us. As wisdom and compassion arise, we can understand our life more fully. We, again, we know what leads to suffering, what leads to separation and fragmentation, and what leads to happiness and peace and wholeness. Everything in life is interdependent. The conditions of our life, really, they're constantly changing. The conditions in our life, they're so uncertain. We never know what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. The conditions in our life are constantly affecting our experience of each moment. But, you know, we're not in control of these conditions, but we're not, you know, powerless. Really, it is this mindful presence that we bring to each moment that allows us to have wakefulness, peace, wisdom, and compassion. The Buddha really described the liberated person as the happiest person in the world, free from worries, free from troubles, really not you know, dwelling in the past, not brooding over the future, but an awakened, peaceful presence. Now, Christina Feldman, who's a Vipassana teacher, says that we are all Buddhas with amnesia. We simply need to wake up. So I invite you to wake up. Let's just take a moment of silence. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have comfort of heart. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.